Good morning, friends. You've tuned into Faith Communications of Erie Christian Fellowship Church. We're delighted that you joined us today. Our hope is that today's message will help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we listen to today's message, keep in mind that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now let's go right into today's broadcast. Okay, we've been talking about here on Wednesday nights steps to releasing our faith. And tonight I want to talk about releasing your faith by using the fundamentals. Using the fundamentals. And I want to explain a little bit about what I mean there. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 11 in your Bibles. We do have it up here on the screen, but Mark chapter 11. And I want to start in verse 12. And we're going to read quite a bit of scripture tonight, but there's a lot of things in here that at least God was revealing to me. Again, maybe some of you already know all this, or maybe you've heard some of this before, but it was just, it was very interesting to me how Mark lays out this situation uh, regarding the fig tree and regarding the, uh, Jesus going into the, uh, to the temple and then the disciples asking about, oh my gosh, what happened with this fig tree? And then Jesus really giving us some instructions on how to pray boldly and begin to release our faith via the fundamentals of faith. And that's what we'll talk about a little bit tonight. But then at the very end, Jesus kind of throws in a little bit about forgiveness when we stand praying. And so I want to walk through this, this passage of Scripture and if you're familiar with, you know, with the Gospels, you notice a lot of times there's multiple stories in the Gospel that are repeated in different Gospels. Well, this one is also in Matthew 21, I believe. And Matthew writes it in a little bit different order. He doesn't write the order exactly the same how it happened here. But I want to use it out of Mark 11 because I think it begins to show us something uh, from a different perspective, from a church perspective, and what it means to pray as a church and the importance of it, okay? So verse 12. Now the next day, so the next day after Jesus came into Jerusalem, okay, after uh, Palm Sunday, basically, the next day, when he had come out from Bethany, so he went back to Bethany, now he's coming back to Jerusalem, he was hungry. Okay, I don't know what time it was in the morning, but when I wake up, sometimes I'm hungry. Any of you hungry when you wake up? Okay, especially during this fast, you're missing some stuff. Jesus was hungry. And verse 13, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. But when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now what the Lord began to show me on this is when you're hungry, you begin looking for something, right? You're looking for food, you're looking at this. This fig tree, in, in, if you look at it, at the time that this happened, it was out of season, it really wasn't supposed to be producing figs at the moment. But it had the appearance that it did. You understand that? It was showing itself off to say, hello, look at me, look at my leaves. I have something for you. And when Jesus began to walk up to it, he expected the same thing. Well, maybe this fig tree might have something because it's, not, it's really not its time, but maybe it does. It is showing something that maybe it has. And when he walked up to it, he quickly found, whoa, there's no figs here. There's no figs on this tree. So in response, Jesus said, ha, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So I begin to look at this and say, whoa, 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 wait a second. 
Jesus just cursed the fig tree. I thought the Bible said that Jesus only did what he saw the Father do. I thought my Bible said that Jesus only spoke and said and did what the Father did. But he actually put a curse on the fig tree. And the Lord was just like, well, first of all, hold on. He didn't put a curse on a person, okay? So there's a big difference there between cursing a fig tree and cursing a person. And what I noticed is that the fig tree was actually a representation of something. What he was cursing, what he was saying, you will bear no fruit anymore, is he was representing something that was showing itself off to be one thing, but truly, in fact, there was nothing there. There was absolutely no fruit. And you say, well, what was, this, what was he talking about? What was he representing? Well, guess what? Mark does a great job at helping us this. So now Mark shows that Jesus now goes to the temple. Ah. So this fig tree is a representation of this temple that was saying, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's got all this great stuff. It looks great on the outside. Maybe there was some incense on the, uh, on the inside. You know, maybe someone was playing a great harp right back then. Maybe they were playing a great harp. And they made the appearance, the church made the appearance that everything was going well. And then Jesus showed up and he went and he went and he went inside to look for the fruit. Just like the fig tree. He went and he said, okay, here is my church. Here is what I came for. Here is what I, I'm going to go die for. I want to go see the fruit that's on the inside of this church. And let's go see what he finds. So they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He was like, whoa, wait a second. Are you kidding me? I'm walking into my church when I'm laying my life down for, and this is what's happening? You have turned the church into a marketplace? And you say the Bible says, well, be angry and do not sin. Well, I don't believe that Jesus sinned here. I believe Jesus was showing some righteous indignation and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. This is my house. And in my house, we are going to prioritize the things that need prioritized. And this is my house. So we're going to do what we need to do in my house. And I will begin to reference the Old Testament, which talks about what my house needs to do and what my house needs to be all about. And so he then begins to speak, what does his house need to be all about? What does the church need to be all about? What does this house, Erie Christian Fellowship Church, need to be all about to please Jesus so that when he shows up, there is fruit for him to eat? This is what we want for this church. This is what God is commanding us here. It says, then he, and he said, would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And then he taught, saying to them, it is, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. He clearly lines out right there. What is fruit in the church? I'm not talking about individually. Individually, Jesus calls out to go out, to preach the gospel, to go make disciples. But he's talking about right here, he's talking about the church. The core of his church, not just this church, the church in general. The church is to be called and to be a house of prayer. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. Like, I think sometimes we think about, why, why are we not praying more? Why don't we have a prayer service every single night? I don't understand. What are we doing? 
And you guys will say, Jason, you're in charge. Make a prayer night every week. Okay. You know what? So I just begin to reflect. Like, this is this house, this house, Pam, you have designed this lobby that has in a big circle, my house shall be called a house of prayer. It's the first thing you see. It's scriptural. It's biblical. Thank you for doing that. It's exactly, it's exactly what the church should be. And it says you shall pray for all nations. Not just your church, not just your circle, but we're here called to pray for ourselves, of course, but also for the, all the nations. Then in verse 18 it says, when the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and they're like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm not running this thing the right way. So they decided they sought the how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening came, he went out of the city, back to the fig tree. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw that the fig tree dried up from the roots. Look at this. So you think about the church, the core of the church, the roots of the church, the foundation of the church. What he cursed on that fig tree was saying it's the foundation that's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's the foundation of that fig tree was not producing what it needed to produce. And the church, what he saw, was not producing what it needed to produce at its foundation. And so what happened? It withered up and it died. And I truly believe, church, that if a church is not a church of prayer, it shall wither up and die. If you notice, he says, my church shall not be called a house of worship. He didn't say it should be a house of preaching. It, shouldn't be, it wasn't a house of the pulpit. It was a house of prayer. A house of prayer. And what that does is it takes the focus off of one individual. It takes the focus off of our amazing worship leader, Sydney, up here. It takes the focus off of me, Pastor Jason, what I'm teaching. It takes the focus off the individual, and it puts it back on God, and it says that my house shall be called a house of prayer. Because we all can pray. It's the most important, one of the most important things that we can do. And Peter, remembering said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said, and now he gets to the fundamentals of faith. And so now what he's beginning to say, and this is what I found interesting, so what he's telling us is a church should pray this way. Not just as an individual, but collectively as a church, we need to use these fundamentals and the foundation of faith that we see right here. Now Jesus begins to teach us how to pray as the church should pray. We want to see fruit we want to see fruit on our trees and on our efforts and on our work. We, can, we need to begin to pray these bold prayers. And the thing we talked about last week, we have not because we ask not. Well, how do we ask? Boom, right here. Right here is how we begin to ask. So what does he say in verse 22? Have faith in God. The fundamental of our prayer life is actually believing that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do. That's a, the very basic fundamental of faith. Are we going to believe? Are we going to have faith in God? Then in verse 23, he says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. So now the second fundamental of faith, not only do we have to believe, now we need to begin to speak. We begin to speak what it is that we want to see happen in our midst. We need to begin to speak the word of God over every situation that's occurring in our life. And I'm telling you, church, we need to begin to get ourselves the word of God on the inside so deep that when a situation does come up, the word of God is right there. 
Because many, many times, even personally in my own life, I'll come into a situation and I'll start scrambling, looking for the words of, in the Bible that will help me in my situation. And the Lord's like, okay, that's okay for so long. But at some point in time, I expect you to begin to know these verses and know the word of God and grow deeper in your faith. And when you're seeking me, these words begin to overflow out of our hearts. They begin to come right out of our mouths. And it's the first thing we begin to say when something happens. So he says, for assuredly, I said, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. So you got to speak to the mountain that's in your life. Speak to that mountain that's in front of you. Speak to the thing that you're staring at right now, today, that you were not expecting yesterday when you woke up. Whatever it is that has come into your life, you begin to speak to that mountain and say, get out of the way. Get into the sea. Then the next fundamental of faith begins the second part of verse, and does not doubt in his heart. So when we pray this prayer, we have to say, you know what? This is all about the fundamentals of faith. Father, you got this. You got this. I don't. With you, all things are possible. With me, what I have found out, most things are impossible. Raising eight children, impossible on my own. Even with with Liz and I, it's impossible for us to do this on our own. God has called us so many times and put so many things in front of us that it's impossible for you to be able to do it on your own. Why? Because he wants you to trust him. If you have a vision and a purpose that God has given you in your life and you truly believe and you think that you can execute it on your own, I'm telling you it's not a vision that you've gotten from God. It's something you made up in your own mind. Oh, I can do this. But when God's involved, you have to to rely on him to be able to make it. That's what he wants. Trusting him, trusting him, trusting him. So those who do not doubt in their heart, but believe that those things that he says will be done, what happens then? He will have whatever he says. And of course, scripture um, always, I mean, the, the two or three witnesses, every time you look at scripture, you say, okay, well, does that mean I can just say I want a million dollars and then I just ima- get a million dollars? No, 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 no. It doesn't, doesn't mean that. It says when you are speaking the will of God in your life, when you are speaking God's purposes, God's plans, and you find the scriptures that apply to your situation that you're dealing with, nowhere in the Bible it says you'll have a million dollars, okay? So that's not a prayer that we begin to speak to mountains. But hey, the Lord, you can say, you will meet every need that I have. You will be able to provide for me, for the vision that you've given me, so that it, maybe it is a million dollars, so that you can feed the poor and give to the orphans and see widows helped. Maybe that is the plan that God has for you, and then you begin to speak that, but only if he is calling that on your individual life. He will have whatever he says when it's spoken in accordance with God's will. It says then, verse 24, says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Church, we're going to spend a little bit of time here at the close here, beginning just to pray. Begin to pray with boldness. Begin to say to those things that need to be said to get out of the way, things that you need to call into your life. I believe Brother Hagen said at one point he realized that he stopped ever praying for finances because all he, what he knew, what he realized is he just had to call them in to where they were to meet his needs and the needs of his church or his congregation or his Bible school that he didn't even have to worry about it anymore. He just had to say, you know what? Lord, release those finances that I need and bring them to me for the purposes you've called for me. 
And then Jesus throws on one little thing here at the end. Just a, just, just a, little, a little something for our enjoyment. It's not very enjoyable sometimes. Verse 25, and whenever. Ah, so when you're praying and you're speaking to that mountain and you're saying, this mountain's got to move out of my life, this cancer has to go, this thing has to happen, my wife's going to get pregnant, blah, blah, whatever it is that you are praying and believing and speaking on based on the word of God, it says, and whenever you stand praying, when you're doing all that stuff, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. It's like, okay, like, whoa, you, maybe you should have put that first, you know? It's like, it's like, what was Jesus thinking? Could you have told me I should forgive people first and then pray like this? But no, he's just like, hold on a second. This is all good stuff. But there's this forgiveness thing too. And basically what he's saying is we've got to clear. We've got to clear what's blocking the blessing from our life. And many, many times, one of the biggest blessing blockers that I have found is bitterness in people's lives, unforgiveness in people's lives. And there's scientific uh, evaluations and studies that say there is bitterness that leads to certain types of cancer. And I'm not saying if you have cancer, it's because you're bitter. I'm just saying there's a scientific study that says there's a link between bitterness and unforgiveness and cancer, which leads to death. So Jesus is not joking around here. It's not like this, just this little thing that's just like, hey, you know, pray like this and maybe you should forgive someone. No, he is commanding us, commanding us to forgive those people who have done wrong to you. And sometimes it's difficult and I understand it. And some of you shouldn't even have to do it, but the God is calling you to do it. And people have hurt you. They've done terrible things to you. And I understand. I've heard stories and it's awful doesn't say forget it, because unless the Lord does that for you supernaturally, sometimes it's very, very, very difficult to forget what's happened to you, but we can still forgive. And that forgiveness then unlocks this faith power of miracle-moving power, of mountain-moving power, this dunamis power that comes only from him when we pray to him and when we speak his word, he promises this dunamis power. I love the word dunamis. I'm going to get t-shirts. We're all going to wear them. It's going to say dunamis. And we're all going to walk around and people out, out, in, the, out in the world are going to be like, Why? what does dunamis mean? Oh, I'm glad you asked. That's the power of God to save, to heal, to forgive. This is dunamis power I'm talking about. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive, there's actually like a link there, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Verse 26, I'll end here. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Serious business. That's all linked to this time when we stand praying for the mountains that we want to see moved in our lives. And it's a representation of how the church needs to stand in prayer and to be a house of prayer, first and foremost. This is what Jesus has commanded us to do. And I pray that we will never, ever, ever be a church that Jesus shows up and finds no fruit, even though it looks like on the outside we've got all these beautiful leaves and it looks like we're blooming. And he shows up on the inside and he says, there's no fruit here. It's just a big show. It's just a big show. Father, let that 
That would be the day that I resign, honestly. Lord, let there be fruit as we pray. So if you want to dim the lights, guys, and maybe put on some music in the background, I want to just read this one thing here. I've been reading this book. I've quoted it a couple times. Leonard Ravenhill. Why revival tarries? That's a question I have all the time. (laughs) So I'm trying to understand why revival tarries. He talks a lot in here about prayer. I just want to read one paragraph. Actually, two. If John Knox had prayed, if anyone knew who John Knox is, if John Knox had prayed, give me success, we would have never heard of him. But he prayed a self-purged prayer, give me Scotland or I die. And his prayer scored the pages of history. For this sin-hungry age, we need a prayer-hungry church. We need to explain again the exceeding great and precious promises of God. That in the great day, the fire of judgment is going to test the sort and the size of the work we have done. That which is born in prayer will survive the test. Prayer does business with God. Prayer creates hunger for souls. Hunger for souls creates prayer. The understanding soul prays. The praying soul gets understanding. To the soul who prays in self-owned weakness, the Lord gives his strength. Oh, that we would be men and women of prayer like Elijah, a man subject to like passions as we are. Lord, let us pray. Thank you for being a part of today's Faith Communications broadcast of Erie Christian Fellowship Church. If you do not currently have a church home, you are invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Erie Christian Fellowship is located at 5900 Saratania Road, directly across from the Walnut Creek Middle School. You'll find us on the web at www.ecfchurch.org where you may sign up to receive our monthly Faith Communications newsletter. Again, thanks for joining us today, and always remember 2 Corinthians 5-7 that declares, For we walk by faith, not by sight.